Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Hey, don't we have incredibly talented musicians here at this church? Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Someday I aspire to have the grace of a bell ringer. As we continue in our series, as we enter, as we uh, progress forward in this season of Advent, as we get closer and closer to the manger, we experience God getting closer and closer to his people, becoming more and more undistanced from, from the holy people, from the people of God. Through Emmanuel, God with us. For many, many, many years, God had been present with a select few. God had been present with a, with a whole of a group of people as he watched over them, as he, he guided them through the desert. He had been present physically with those in the garden, with Adam and with Eve. He had been present with those those special anointed people with Moses in the tent of meeting. He'd been present with the prophets. He had been present with a select few, but he had not been present in the same kind of way with all. He had been a a voice, a voice of leadership, a voice that gave commands. He, He was a voice to so many. But in this moment, something changes. In this moment, he is no longer just a voice, but he's a presence. There is something significantly different about being present. For those of you who were present for the Gloria last week, I went back and watched it online and it was still incredibly beautiful, but there was something about being present that carried a different weight. You know, in, uh, at our house, we have uh, an upstairs, and uh, we have that, what they call the Texas, uh, the Texas basement, right, which is uh, really just like a, growing up in Kansas City, we had basements, and that's where everybody played, you know. It was, uh, it was very isolated. It was, uh, it was, we could, as kids, we could just make a mess, right? We could just do whatever we wanted in the basement, and it was just kind of our space. But in Texas, we don't have basements. Uh, we have what they call the Texas basement, the playroom upstairs, right? And, uh, and so the kids are up there, but all of the noises carry throughout the entire house. And so uh, I, was, I was playing the other day, or I was kind of enjoying uh, being with my wife and taking a breath from our kids that were playing upstairs so nicely. And all of a sudden, I hear this boom, just this thud, and then chuckles. You know, that, that's okay. Uh, as long as you don't hear a thud and then and then burst of tears of cry, crying, right? Uh, if they if you hear chuckles, it's it's a lot better. And then I hear it again, boom, boom, and I I'm kind of curious as to what's happening. And so um, I call up, and they're like, "Nothing, everything's good, we're fine." And I'm like, I'm thinking, should I should I go up there? Should I, should I intervene? 
And then I hear it, boom, and then wails of tears, right? That one moment. I said, all right, I'm coming up. And I just hear this scurrying, right? As I step one foot on the stair and kind of make a a dramatic, loud first step on the wooden stairs, their, their little feet just running all over the place, you know, picking up or whatever they're doing. And I get up upstairs and finally I see the, the game that they've been playing. Right? There's something about presence that makes a difference. Right? I could call from the, from the bottom of the stairs all day, clean up your rooms, clean up your rooms. But as soon as you say, I'm coming up, right? Everything changes. There's something about presence that makes it real. There's something about presence that means I'm serious. I've been reading a a, a book for seminary, which praise be to God, I finished my first semester of seminary, Stacy and I, uh, and uh, that, that relief of finishing, of turning in that last paper. Uh, but we, we read this book called Mission Between the Times by uh, this uh, Latin uh, theologian named uh, Rene Padilla. And he says in his book about contextualizing the gospel message, he says that the incarnation is the greatest contextualization of the gospel. It is the greatest moment of God contextualizing his love for his people. He says this, God does not shout his message from the heavens, but in the incarnation, God becomes present as a human being among human beings. There is something significant about God's presence. As we read in scripture today, we read from Luke chapter 2, a familiar passage where where Jesus first enters into the world, where the, the angels declare that he has come to the lowliest of shepherds, and they go and they run to meet this Messiah, this Jesus who was finally made present with his people. As we read today, I want to emphasize and highlight the people that God chooses to show himself to first and how that reveals something about how we ought to see and view the world around us. Let's go to, go to God in, in, in prayer as we open up the word of God. Holy Spirit, make yourself present to us today. God, would you reveal to us your heart through the reading of the word? God, I pray that this word of God would be alive and active in this place. God, that you would would sort through our own intentions. God, that you would sort through the attitudes of our heart as the Hebrew author says. God, that you would reveal to us your heart in the midst of this text. God, we love you, we honor you, we give you thanks and we give you praise for who you are and who you continue to be in our world today. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. If you would stand for the reading of the gospel as you're able. 
We'll be in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Finally, the moment that that Israel had been waiting for, the long-expected Messiah that had been told about as far back as the prophecies of Isaiah, and it was coming to fruition, Emmanuel, God with us, The first century reader would have read this text and would have thought that it was comical. The first century reader would have have written this much different if they were telling it through their perspective and through their lens. The Messiah is here. Let's go worship him in the palace. Let's go worship him in the temple. Oh wait, he's not in the palace or the temple? No, he's in a cave with a bunch of livestock. Well, how do you know that? Well, the shepherds told us. They were the first ones to see him. The shepherds were the first ones? Are you kidding me? The shepherds? Nobody trusts the shepherds. This seems like a really poor way to get the word out. It seems like pretty bad marketing on God's part. Maybe God sent the the angels to the wrong people. Maybe the shepherds weren't supposed to be there at that time and it was supposed to be somebody else. But this is the way that Luke's gospel reads. In fact, this is the way that Luke writes his gospel People often refer to Luke's gospel as the gospel to the poor and lowly. The lens in which Luke writes his gospel is to always value the least and the last. 
You see, God first revealed himself to Zechariah, and he, he exalted his wife, Elizabeth, who was barren. And those who were barren in their time were looked at as cursed by God, who were isolated, who were broken. And God exalted the lowly, the marginalized. And then he reveals himself to Mary. He says, you who are highly favored from a town of nothing, a town of Nazareth. You know what they say about the town of Nazareth? That nothing good comes from Nazareth. Nothing good has ever come from Nazareth, the the place of lowly. Yet Jesus, God decides to send his son to the world through the town of Nazareth. Through a no-named little 12-year-old woman named Mary. See, Luke's gospel elevates those who are marginalized. It says they they have value in the eyes of God. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. And so it's no mistake that God reveals himself first through the angels to the shepherds, the shepherds who were maybe the most lowly of society. The shepherds are the people most distanced, most isolated from the rest of the community. Shepherds would spend weeks out in the fields tending the flocks, without showers, without, without the common interaction with others. The shepherds were often very socially awkward. Shepherds were neglected in society. They had a rabbinic ban on them because they, didn't, they weren't even part of, the, of the, the typical practices that you would need to be part of in order to worship in the temple. So they weren't even allowed to worship in the temple Even if they had a great faith, they were not allowed. They weren't allowed to bathe in the ritual baths. They missed all of the gossip of the town. You ever been uh, in a place where where somebody, there was a big big event in somebody's life and they didn't tell you about it? And you just kind of felt out of the loop? that That was the shepherds all the time. If, if, if something, something newsworthy happened in town, they didn't get an alert on their phone that let them know that something big had happened. They just missed it. And so they'd walk into town and everything would be changed or everything would be different and they would have no idea. They were isolated socially. They were neglected spiritually. Spiritually. 
Oftentimes, these were even unwed men or boys, and something was just wrong with them. But there is no mistake that Jesus made here in being born in Bethlehem. There's no mistake in the angels declaring to the shepherds because in, in the angels' declaration to the shepherds, he shows us his heart for the people. And I think this is where we need to lean in. Those who heard the news first were the ones that were left out by the rest of the world. You see, God sees people different than we see people. God sees people with value. You know, I was processing, um, as we were kind of writing this sermon series, I was sitting down with Matt Robinson, and Matt asked the question, if, if, the, if the shepherds, if this whole event happened today, who would the shepherds be in our society? I thought it was a really profound question. I want you to take a moment just to kind of pop, populate in your head who you think those, those, the shepherds might be. Who would God reveal himself to? The least, the lowly, the isolated, the marginalized in our society. Now, whoever you're thinking of, if they're American, it probably isn't them. Because on a global scale, there's nobody more marginalized than, than people in other countries. God might reveal himself more so to a little village in Tanzania, so isolated that they don't even get radio. You see, we oftentimes read scripture through our own lens, through our own lens that, that, that we view the world. Uh, I was reading a, a book for, for a seminary class, and um, it called out that most, that all of the people in scripture are either brown or black. And I realized that I had been reading most of scripture and putting white faces on the, on the characters because I read from my own lens and my own perspective. But what God does in this moment is he values the marginalized. God sees people different than we do. God values people different than we do. We see a stereotype, but God sees the heart. We see the least and the lowly, the poor, maybe as a drain on society, but God sees them as co-heirs to the kingdom of God. In our, in our best heart, we ask the question, how can I help them? But what God sees is how can they add value with the gifts and the ability and the strengths that they have, how do they add value to the kingdom of God? Several years ago, I went to a conference. Um, this was when I first came to, to Kingwood. So I was young, 26 years old, in my first year here. And God put on my heart this apartment complex right across the street. And he said, he said 
I'm calling you to ministry to the, to, to the people in your community, to the people who are right next to you. So I was just processing, God, what, what can I do for them? God, what, what do I have to offer? What, how can I engage with them? And I went to this conference and I heard this speaker who was talking about uh, engagement, like community engagement and being part of the community and, and what it means to be, to be unified with the people around you. And I went up to him and asked him afterwards, I told him the situation, and I said, uh, how can I connect with them? How, how can I help them in their situation? And he said, so I want you to hold, hold that question for a moment. I think you're asking the wrong question. He said, what do they have to offer your church? And that question has, has rung in my head. Because what that revealed to me in my own heart is that I saw those people as a project. I saw those people as a, as a mission or a ministry. But I didn't see their value. I didn't see their gifts. I was greater and they were the lesser and I was going to help them. I was going to help them to assimilate to me to what I am, to what we are. That question has been breaking my heart over and over and over again over over the last nine years. You see, God does not shout his message from the heavens, but God becomes present as a human being among us. As a missions pastor, this hits home. What does it mean for us to be present with our community? What does it mean for us to be present with each other, to be fully present in ministry? A few weeks ago, uh, I spoke about the uh, Trinitarian missiology, uh, what, the way it looks like when we do missions from a, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perspective. When we are asking God, how would you lead us in ministry and mission? When we're asking God, how would, you, how would you do the mission? When we look to the heart of God, when we look to the heart of the Father, and when we ask the Holy Spirit to sustain and empower our ministries. A few, uh, a few weeks ago, um, we had a missions committee meeting and I um, God kind of gave me a vision for what missions might look like in 2022. And the word ministry of presence kept ringing back and forth in my head. What does it look like for us to invest in the ministry of presence? You've all heard the idiom, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. But I challenge you, as we engage in the ministry of presence in in all areas of the church and in, in areas of our lives, we're not just teaching a man to fish, but we're sitting and we're fishing with them. You know, there's something dramatically different about showing them how to put the lure on the hook and sending them off to fish. But as we sit with them, 
as we walk alongside them, as we hear their hurts, as we ask about their family, as we hear their stories, we are revealing the heart of God. A God who didn't shout from the heavens, but chose to come down and be physically, tangibly present because there's something more significant about presence. We have some incredible ministries within our church that practice the presence of God, the ministry of presence. Oaks of Righteousness, who walks alongside these women who have been released from prison for years, hear their stories and do life with them. Oasis, who invites people, invites these, these young men into, the, into the, the home, engages with families who are in foster and adoptive care, does life and walks alongside them. Student Ministries, who goes to games with students to show the presence that they care. Those who do hospital visitations to meet people with the physical presence in those times of need. Prison Ministries, who walk alongside them, not just to do a kairos, but to, to go back in and lead a Bible study. When they're released, providing loans walking alongside them to get them started again. So ask the question, and I leave us with this. Jesus chose, God chose to see and value the person, to be present with them. He chose the shepherds. So what does it look like for us to invest in the ministry of presence in our families? What does it look like to invest in the ministry of presence at work, in our missional lives, in the church, on Sunday mornings? We are called to echo the heartbeat of God. So what does it look like to walk along the poor alongside the poor and the lowly of our community. It's hard. It's messy. It's oftentimes inconvenient. And ultimately, it must be intentional. The kingdom of God does not look like life in the kingdom in the bubble. The kingdom of God becomes present when we are intentionally present You know, I went back, going back to that question, what do they have to offer? God knew exactly who he was revealing himself to. Scholars say that the, 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 the shepherds who were in the fields outside of Bethlehem would have most likely been the ones who were watching after the sheep who would be sacrificed in the temple. They were the ones who, would, who watched after the spotless lambs, who would raise the spotless lambs, who would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. Not too hard to draw a connection to why they were the ones to recognize the spotless lamb 
who would take on the sins of the world. May we begin to see people with the, with the eyes of God. May we put aside our own lens, our own prejudice, our own motivations, to be fully present with the people around us, to be fully present in ministry. Church, let us be the people who love like Jesus in the ministry of presence to our neighbors. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As we continue in worship, uh, if, if, you, if you would like to be part of this congregation or you would like to have a conversation about what this means for us to be present with one another, if God has stirred in your heart and you um, have something you'd like to, you'd like to process, um, Stacy and I would love to, to spend, spend moments just chatting with you to talk to you about what it means for you to be part of this congregation, to be part of the ministry of presence. And so as we worship, as we continue in worship, as, as we sing this hymn, would you stand as we respond to the gospel?